You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. This episode was sponsored by iPlaySafe, the new app that's removing the ick from sharing STI test results with potential partners. Download the free, medically approved app to order your home STI testing kit, and your results will be sent directly to your app verifying your sexual health status. It's then up to you when and with whom and whether you share it. The free app also gives you access to articles, podcasts and sexual education content. And you can find them on Instagram at iPlaySafeApp. Join the iPlaySafe community today. So my guest today is one of the UK's top sex secrets holders, which is I'd say probably quite a new role, new profession. Um, but Eleanor has an incredible stationery shop called Marby and Elm, which is on Exmouth Market. And in lockdown, she was asking people to send her their lockdown secrets. So whatever that looked like, people were sending in amazing postcards and pictures and designs. And what she found was that so many of these were about sex and relationships that she's decided now to launch a second series, which is Sex Secrets. I am absolutely loving watching them come in because I suppose in a way as a psychosexual therapist, I am a a sex secret keeper in some way, shape or form. But these postcards are just incredible. I just would love to know what your postman thinks more (laughs) than anything. But I I guess I wanted to really like kick the conversation off by saying what it was that interested you so much about the lockdown series that you decided to take it further because for me sex and money feel like the biggest taboos I suppose we still have in society it's definitely the thing that I think I as a therapist see that people struggle to talk about the most particularly couples and you are inviting people to do it and getting such an amazing response. Yeah, it's 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 really overwhelming the response actually. I I'm I'm always utterly surprised by how candid and open people are willing to be seemingly if you just ask. I mean, I find that I think the most I think that you know so it, it does make you think in the sort of broader sense how much of what people don't talk about is really just there on the tip of their tongue, waiting for somebody to kind of prod them and go, come on, oh, spill, spill, spill. Mm. Um, because, and, and I, I, you know, I may, be, I may be entirely wrong. You know, I obviously have a, um, a big group of Instagram followers who have been following along the community of people that sort of gathered as the snowball of lockdown secrets gain momentum and they're all very invested in they were very invested in lockdown secrets and they were certainly very invested in the in the helping of people and the 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 recommending of websites and help to each other actually during during lockdown when people's secrets were um were were kind of needy and heartfelt and um and that those people were clearly crying out for help so it, it's interesting i i feel like with sex secrets um, the extraordinary thing about this collection, as opposed to the lockdown secrets, uh, is that I would say that there's a much higher, higher hit rate 
of people asking for the postcard and people sending it back and quickly. Mm. So I think that's really interesting because even in this period, which is a sort of post-lockdown period, um, thank God, people have less time. They're back out at work. They're back out socialising. And yet they're seeming to put as much effort, if not more, into every secret that they're making and sending in and doing it more quickly So it makes me think that the people that want to reveal these sex secrets actually do really want to reveal it. And they've wanted to for a while. Mm. Like it's an outlet they've they've been waiting for in some respects. It's that's a really interesting observation. It's almost I guess I'm thinking that it's like a type of therapy for people. And I think so often I see that with people. They send an initial inquiry for psychosexual therapy. And as soon as the inquiry sent us like it's can I have an appointment basically now can I have an appointment tomorrow when's the first time I can come and I think yeah it's something about kind of a tipping point isn't there and I wonder if that that's the case here but I guess there seems something therapeutic I don't know release based or kind of freeing about sending these postcards and I know something I'd asked you before was do you think that doing it through a means which isn't online so writing writing on a blank postcard do you think that that's also a part of it? Because we run almost everything of our lives now through some kind of technology or some kind of yeah. online-ness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's um, it, it's definitely a, 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 a huge... It's a layer to this divulging that I don't think I appreciated was so intrinsic to the release of those secrets when I first started it. I mean, I obviously first started it simply because I have a stationery shop. I had postcards. I like to encourage letter writing and posting in an analogue form. So that was why I started this project that way. Although, obviously, there's a massive caveat there is that I did put it all on Instagram. So on my Marby and Elm Instagram account is how the whole thing started. So it did need to be both. You know, it needed to... Mm. It was analogue, but it was via a very kind of modern means of connection. So it's it's both. And I think that's interesting. But I think the point that you're making, and it's a really, um, it's a really vital one, actually, is that in the making of the secrets, in the disguising of the person's identity, so they, they're having to think outside the box uh, creatively to disguise their handwriting, to disguise possibly where it comes from, that kind of thing. The method in which they have rendered these postcards, I think, and also, I mean, uh, as a sort of uh, boring backstory, I studied art history for many years. So I'm very interested in the in the visual interpretation of these as well. And it just occurs to me as they come in, that so much of the way that they have been rendered also in some ways exposes a little bit more about the secret or is at least very redolent of the secret that they are um, putting onto the paper. Mm. And I think that's really fascinating. It's fascinating from a psychological point of view and it's fascinating, I think, as many people who've done the secrets have told me that the process has been really quite uh, cathartic and releasing um, in that sort of art therapy way, I suppose, of writing things down. Sometimes it's the first time people have seen that secret in a sentence form, you know, because we might have these thoughts about things and feelings and strong urges, and but to actually articulate it in a sentence is a quite different thing. And to see it on paper is quite a powerful thing, I think, for people. Mm. It's a process of externalising. And I suppose 
however you put something out there, mm. it, yeah, I mean, sometimes you hear people say something and they say, God, it's the first time I've ever heard myself say that or that's the first time I've ever said that out loud. Yes. And I guess it feels like a different version of that. Yes. And and that and also um, there's the, there's, a, there's also the other layer, which is the, then the sending it off out into the world. Mm. So you're, not only are they writing it down, seeing it possibly for the first time, as you say, as if somebody might be in your in your practice and saying something for the first time. And then that being a startling thing, you know, seeing the speech bubble almost in front of them with the center, with the thing out there. But also, so they've written it onto the postcard or they've decorated it or drawn it onto the postcard. That itself has been a process of sorts. And then they have sent it out, which is another act of bravery, mm. is to sort of put it in a post box and send it out into the world to join other people's secrets in this, in this, I suppose, this kind of the, the platform that my Instagram account has become is a sort of receptacle for these secrets, which are, they're anonymous. So there's a there's a safety but there's also an exposure and I think those two things is quite an interesting mix because it, it means that people are partially able to expose it but still within the safety of anonymity and it gives them a chance to see what other people's reactions are to their secret mm. and to see whether they are really alone. And I think that that's where the sharing aspect or the putting it on social media aspect comes from because I suppose otherwise it kind of happens in a in a vacuum and that's where there's a huge shift isn't there because I suppose in a way all these postcards are a form of sex education in the fact that they are normalizing and as you said exposing and making people feel less alone and one of the biggest side effects that I think we see with the problem with our culture around sex and sex still being quite taboo or not talked about, and you know, particularly the problem, which is then further exacerbated when people have sexual problems, is this description from people of feeling alone, feeling isolated in their experience, questioning if they are, inverted commas, normal, is there something broken in them? And for me, the postcard series completely goes against that and all those assumptions because it shows what a massive diversity and range of sexuality and sexual practices and sexual fantasies are but also it's kind of comforting in that way it's like oh okay I'm not the only person that might have had that thought or I'm not the only person that might have done that yeah and yeah absolutely I, I think that's such a massive part of it I think in a way that's also why people are drawn to these kind of projects yes because you all want to see, I mean, in everything, I mean, in everything that we watch, consume, read, I think that we're all looking for, we're looking for commonplace uh, thoughts and feelings. We're looking to to relate to people. We're looking to empathise and to, for, to feel like we maybe have the same, we have the same things. We we feel the same things and need the same things. And um, and And of course, in the subject of sex, there's so much that's taboo that it is a, it's, it's a sort of perfect, it's a perfect sort of uh, area to, to kind of um, to dive into in this way so that people can read the secrets and feel, oh, yeah, that thing which I just kept in my head and I haven't even told my husband for 30 years, she does that too. And he likes that too. And I'm, yeah. and I'm not alone. And maybe I could voice that. And maybe that could make our sex life 
better mm. if I did, if I had the confidence to know that it's not just me that likes, uh, wh- you know, <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, some kinky thing. I guess I wonder in hearing you talk about everything like this is, what do you think your postman thinks? He's got an insight into the UK's sex lives. Finney has got an insight into the UK sex lives of the nation. He has. Um, I mean, he he loved those early lockdown secrets so much. I mean, he would come and, you know, he, I mean, he would really, before me, would be the first person to read any if he had time on, as he was walking with his sack load. And, um, yeah, I think that, you know, I think he's, I think he's become a little hardened to them, actually. <laughs> I think they were quite shocking early on. And I think he loved them. I'm trying to, at the moment, send out envelopes with them, actually, because I know that some of them are more explicit than is probably, you know, than is probably <laughs> healthy for Vinny and the post people to necessarily see. And also, I mean, is this, I'm worried a little bit about them being stolen en route as well, mm. because if they are quite titillating, I don't want people to steal them. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I've been sending out envelopes with 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 the last batch because I feel like people will feel mm. safer sending them back covered as well, you know, this time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I certainly have an incredibly funny and good relationship with with Finney and he really protects the postcards and with his, you know, and he, he, he often writes little. They're often actually very sweetly, they're often notes to Vinny from people on the back of the envelopes as well. <laughs> they, hey, Posty, I hope you like this one. You know, it's very funny. It's a very sweet extra um, extra level of interaction, which I totally love, which the whole thing has spawned so many connections with people, with strangers and with postmen and with other Instagram followers. I mean, I, that the connection part I find just so moving mm. and touching always. That's why I feel... Like people can really open, feel like they're, it's a safe place to really open up. We've had no horrible, there's been no sort of troll, there's been nobody putting horrible comments on anything. It's been really, really heartwarming, I think. Mm. And um, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the human race and going out there and connecting with every single person on my way to work and on my way back from work. And I find those little connections with people so rewarding um, that this is almost like a larger version of that. Yeah, I love that. And I think humans, we are designed to connect. And I think I think the internet is currently, and social media is currently a very kind of strange place for that, for everyone kind of releasing a lot of their anger if you want to think about it that way but as you say I think the support thing and I think one of my favorite postcards that I've seen so far was the one about the couple who despite not having sex and kind of defining themselves as asexual still have a wonderful connecting intimate relationship Mm, that yeah so moving that postcard I just thought that for me is something that I feel people misunderstand a lot of the time as well and people you know it's one of the classic assumptions we have that if someone doesn't have sex or aren't having sex or aren't having a sex life that their relationship must be in some way failing and that's not always the case no we see that people who are asexual can have close you know connecting intimate relationships 
that aromanticism and asexuality are two different concepts, although they often get bundled together. Yes, people can also be both mm-hmm. or just one. And mm-hmm. I loved that that would have been affirming and comforting to so many people. I mean, what it might have done is also shown people who weren't having sex in their relationships or weren't having a sexual relationship that they didn't feel that way. And actually it was both the relationship and the sex that wasn't working. But yeah. I I felt really, I don't know, it made me feel really happy for that person who wrote that postcard. I completely agree. I think that the, I think that it's it really one of the most moving and probably the most important ones so far in the collection. I'll, I'll, I'll de- shall I describe it and read it out mm. um, for the listeners? Um, so it's a really beautiful card, actually. It's just handwritten, but really, really thought about, I think. And it's got these beautiful um, sort of pastel colours um, going from... Uh, in vertical stripes from the top to the bottom and over the top in two different colour pens it says my husband and I recently had a conversation where we finally admitted that we don't want to have sex with each other or anyone else and never really have we have the most wonderful loving supportive and caring relationship and many say we're the happiest couple they know I'm even more in love with him now than I thought possible And I just think, actually, that what's beautiful about that is that those two people have kind of found each other. You know, they 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 found each other and they they are connecting with each other in a really honest and open um, way. And they're connecting so strongly that that connection is as strong as if they had a sexual relationship. Like, the mo- most people have sex to feel connected. This couple don't need to have sex to feel even more connected. And it's really about connection. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, whether you're having penetrative sex or whether you're holding hands and loving mm. an episode of Emmerdale. The, 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 the key thing, I think, is to feel like you are one with that person or at least that they completely support you and you completely support them emotionally that's I think that's what we're striving for Mm. in sex and if you can get it without it then there is no difference the connection is as strong I think and I don't know what I'm talking about no I I really agree with you and I think the thing is I think improved sexual wellness for some people could be realizing that actually sex isn't for them or isn't for them at the moment or isn't for them at this stage in their life or whatever they're going through and that's also fine I think the assumption particularly perhaps that people might have about psychosexual therapy is that it's making sex better or making sex more or and actually for some people it's about an improved relationship with sex And, well, I would say that's probably my role is to help people improve their relationship with sex or with their sexuality. And that might be that sex isn't for them. Like some types of food aren't for some people, some types of experiences. Some people like to travel, others don't. We have this acceptance of variability in every other aspect of our lives. But for some reason, when it comes to our sex lives, we try to make us all fit the same model or the same style or the same thing. We have less accepting views of the differences. And I think that's what makes sex, for me anyway, 
so interesting and such a key part of humanity or human sexuality is is the huge range yeah yeah i mean i think that that that's that's totally right i mean and of course the huge range the entire gamut um is evident in the postcards i mean even in the even in the 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 relatively infantile collection that i've got so far um the 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 range of the of what is important to people sexually is really fascinating you know from from that from let's say let's call that the asexual couple sort of one extreme to really i suppose some are very evident of people who are addicted to to sex or addicted to there's one uh funny one that i'll i'll read out about somebody's uh exploits um uh outside which is clearly for them a big thing so the background of this photo of this uh uh postcard is a photograph of lots of tiny uh eyes mm. all over the back and then the text says in a hostel dorm in the office loose club loose pub loose in a shop changing room in the office kitchen in a black cab in a swingers club in a phone box on oxford street in the Red Room at Rio's on a doorway in the King's Road, in the local park in Battersea Park in Alley Pally, in the middle of Hyde Park, on the wall of someone's front garden, on an aeroplane, on the front back seat book of a car, on the South Bank Centre terrace, highbrow, on the Hungerford Bridge, lowbrow, don't know, on the East London Line, on the night bus, on the dance floor at Heaven, on a swag under the stars, on a bench press at the gym, on the quad bed at a fever party. And then on the bottom tiny line, it says, but I can barely get going in my semi-detached suburban bedroom. And so that's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, let's just say for argument's sake, for us discussing it, that that's all true. It's a really interesting list. And even the repetition, slight repetition of it's almost mm. a poem of their, of their need. It sort of speaks of, doesn't it, a kind of addiction. There's a real sort of, I mean, I haven't even... I haven't even realised that until I read it out, because that's the first time I read it out loud, that it has almost a kind of mm. pentameter kind of effect of a, of, a, of, of a rolling train or something, that this person needs to go and do it and do it and do it and do it and have risk somebody seeing. Although I would say the, uh, the dance floor at Heaven is definitely a lot more fun than my bedroom at home, I must say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on the dance floor at Heaven. I uh, but I think it is, yeah, I think it's interesting and in what we talk about in psychosexual therapy is helping people to kind of define their good conditions for sex and maybe for this person, yes. their good conditions for sex are novelty or thrill or excitement yes. or... Exhibitionism. Changing of space. or Yeah, exactly. And I suppose it's maybe for this person that is the... There is something in that which is erotic and we talk about kind of helping people to explore their erotic imaginations or erotic blueprints. And for them, there is something in that that isn't fulfilled at home for example or in a in a space which is either private or mundane yes and and there 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 are quite a group of postcards which are about i'm sure this won't surprise you at all which are about the um about the possible you know the fantasy of possibly being seen right the the public the semi public space the idea that somebody could walk in at any moment or that somebody might witness them 
it's obviously a very um it's obviously a very sort of common turn on and um you know i suppose what why is that such a such a common fantasy the being watched well i suppose also it probably isn't a surprise there's a large overlap with that group and a group of people who are happy to put their sex secrets on a postcard and put them out in the world where true there might be a thrill about them being read or being seen either by the postman or by you or by Instagram and that a thrill being that those postcards yeah. might be kind of although um although anonymized still being seen yes it's an extension of their fantasy really isn't it yeah absolutely and i think that so much of our sex lives are i think there is a lot to do with the taboo nature of it which is so much of it is private and unseen that there is the thrill in the erotic and you know we talk about voyeurism is kind of one I suppose aspect of some people's kind of erotic exploration erotic minds which is the idea of watching and some people's is exhibitionism which is the idea of being seen and I think those ideas are probably as old as time I think that's definitely evident in this little uh in this little collection so far. And do you have any other favourites that you think tell us anything about human sexuality? Or... Well, um, I mean, they they all do a little... I mean, they obviously all do. Mm. I mean, I think this one's really interesting. I mean, it, it's very... This one is very funny and it's very... In a way, it's glib. But I think there's a lot in it. I think there's a lot of people that do this and so I'll read it out because it's also funny and it makes me laugh every time. When my partner when my partner goes down on me, I like to lie back and think of England crossed out his best friend. Mm. And I think that's really interesting. It makes you think I wonder, you know, that place we go to in our heads when we're having sex with our partners um is really interesting i think i would like i would like more people to divulge those i think it's really interesting and probably very commonplace that we that we have these scenarios possibly even other people that we're thinking about when we're having sex with our partners and i don't think that that is unusual or necessarily mm. taboo you know i think it would be i mean I don't think it's, um, I mean, I think that those things are really interesting. So, for example, last night I was talking to some girlfriends about these and I said to one of them, and what do you think about when when you're having sex with your husband as opposed to masturbating? What are the two, what are the things you have in your head? And she said, well, when I'm having sex with my husband, actually I am in the room having sex with my husband and he is, and it is the thing that's turning me on. But when I masturbate, I never think about him. Mm. I'm only thinking about ex-boyfriends. And I think that's really interesting, isn't it? That, um, you know, and she said, and when I dream and sort of slightly fantasize when I'm dreaming at night, when I'm asleep, it's always about the ex-boyfriends. It's always I go back to these to these scenarios and to this sort of older relationships. Yeah, I suppose the thing is about ex-relationships or ex-partners, and I think that's not an uncommon fantasy, is it's easy for us to imagine because we've had the experiences, so it's easiest for us to kind of reenact them psychologically. Yes. And 
what we know about some fantasies is that they can create the same reactions in our brain, brain chemistry, body, physiological reactions, as if the scenarios were actually happening. And one of the episodes um, that I did in the first series with Justin Leigh Miller was on sexual fantasies, and he has researched this topic to an incredible um, depth and is really one of the only people that's done it as such a specialism. And a lot of what he and I also talked about is sometimes fantasy is okay for us to explore because it's just fantasy and we don't actually want to put it into reality, that fantasy doesn't always directly translate to behaviour or doesn't directly translate to us actually acting it out. And that's why we can explore it. Yeah, I think that it can be a way for people to add novelty into their sex lives and something a bit different. And we know that routine can be a real passion killer, a real desire dampener. And I think that it fantasy can do something to change up the scenario for us without us actually having to physically introduce anything different yeah. or even tell yeah. partners in some yeah. scenarios. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, it is a way of completely of completely going somewhere else um, without that person knowing. And and I, I, as you say, a sort of safe way. I mean, as a fantasy is a fantasy, and and I suppose in many ways, mo- most people wouldn't want those fantasies to become a reality. Otherwise, the bubble will be burst, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't maybe work so well for them because quite often, I'm sure they are fantastical um, as well, and not and not even achievable. That yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about the postcard that I posted yesterday about the lady who had been married for many, many years and her husband and her had always had sex with the light off and he'd never, he never seemed to relish her in any way and she left him, started burlesque classes and found a new love and appreciation of her own body and her own uh, sexuality and has, and has now got together with somebody who likes to leave the light on and she has the most wondrous sex. And I think... That's really interesting as well, because that's sort of the the idea of going and taking yourself to do something like burlesque is slightly living out a bit of a fantasy, right? To a level, you're living out a kind of, I'm a sexual diva and I have this sexual power. And that's obviously for her really become something that she's digested and imbued and has given her um, a new... A way of looking at herself and finding herself sexy and finding herself attractive again, and I think that's. Um, that, I mean, that postcard was was very well liked by many women, as you can as you can imagine, and I think it also made me feel like there are so many women who feel like that, like underappreciated, in the dark, undervalued, their a diminishing return on their body and their sexual life as as their as their married lives are progressing um don't are just are sort of just never going to regain that 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 sort of power and excitement again and i think that's why that postcard was so kind of lauded by by all my followers like yeah that's a yeah, brilliant go for it you know let's let's embrace ourselves and what we mm. might want to do and might want to become and let's be tossed around the bedroom again. I think it's an amazing example of how we 
always assume that sex is about the other person and how the other person sees us and what the other person does to us and how the other person turns us on. And actually, the sexual relationship with self is pretty much, you know, where it begins and ends. And Mm. when that is in a good place and we feel good about it and confident and comfortable and we celebrate that in ourselves and are able to wear it, I suppose, thinking about sex and sexuality as something that we kind of embody, not just something that we do, that then it is impacted or enhanced or Mm -hmm. in relation with the other person. They don't start it and end it, but they kind of contribute to it or interact with it. You're making partners sound like a a dildo in that scenario. (laughs) But really, do you think what 80, do you, are you talking, I mean, I know it's difficult to talk about percentages because it's so nuanced, but are you are you saying that about, you know, such a high percent, like 80% of one's ability to go somewhere very good sexually is about how we're seeing ourselves and what we're bringing? No, I'm not saying that our partners are in no way kind of contributing or redundant or anything like that. But I think that a bit like, I suppose the it's the version of people saying you have to learn to love yourself before you let somebody else love you. I think mm-hmm. that particularly in psychosexual therapy, a lot of what I'm working on with people is the sexual relationship with self as a foundation for then a potential if that person wants to have a relationship, sexual relationship with other yeah. and or others whatever that looks like for them. And I think that it's about that. And, you know, one of the biggest things that Mm. I work with is people who have anxiety around sex. And that anxiety might be to do with low self-esteem, might be to do with sexual pain, might be to do with their perceived performance when it comes to sex or sexual functioning or dysfunction. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Those are some kind of obvious examples. But really, I suppose the bulk of the work is done on that person with themselves, Mm. how they feel about themselves. If we can help someone feel more comfortable and they're more confident with themselves as a sexual person, they can then allow that to be the case with someone else there, with someone else present. And there's a huge, huge human vulnerability mm-hmm. in that which is that sex and intimacy often is risk-taking both emotionally physically psychologically it's exposing we're both kind of psychologically kind of unclothed and physically unclothed a lot of the time and that also experiences with other people yes also with just ourselves but can almost make or break us sexually and I work with lots of people, for example, who are coming to psychosexual therapy because they struggle to be intimate with someone again or sexual with someone again because their last partner cheated on them. And so the idea of opening themselves up to the risk of that pain again feels very scary. So in learning to trust themselves that is a a stepping stone to trusting others again or rebuilding that part of themselves. So in no way is it an exclusively 
solo experience because we see that sex, if we're talking about sexual experiences with others, are partnered experiences. But I also think the flip side of that is someone can have good sexual well-being, good sexual wellness, feel sexually satisfied, confident, happy on their own. And there isn't a requirement necessarily for a partner to feel all of those things. And I think that's a big assumption that we have, particularly in conversation, is all the stuff about sex is about people having sex with other people, isn't about self-love, is not about building on that um, sexual relationship, I suppose, with self. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. And I think that, you know, I think that you, I think, as I mean, I don't know whether this is a grand assumption or, or a sort of uh, preconceived myth, but uh, I certainly feel, and it certainly seems from the postcards, that from women, it is so much more about their head and about where they are and the thoughts around everything that they're doing and an ability to allow themselves to go to a certain place to to feel like they're in a realm of arousal and liberation and whatever they whatever the space they need to be but I think it's I think it it feels like to me and of course I know that fundamentally our anatomies are the same but just placed differently um they've done some homework but the, the, for women, they do, I think there has to be the right, so much of the right things going on in their head. The this, this, this sort of story has to be right. And they have to, um, much more so maybe, especially initially than for men, where it can feel like it can be just more of a physical thing. Like it, um, And I don't know whether that's a kind of almost uh, sort of, uh, old-fashioned thing to say or to feel but I certainly think that the other thing that's quite interesting that the early postcards in this collection really um, showed me uh, that I wasn't expecting at all was that a quite a lot of them were from men mm. and and two or three of them were about men faking orgasms which I thought was really interesting because I think you know historically in a kind of uh, when Harry met Sally world that we live in, yeah. uh, we're always associating the idea of faking orgasms or that women le- having less ability to have an orgasm, therefore faking them more than than men faking them. Like I've, I've never really thought about the concept of a man faking an orgasm before. And, and yet quite a few of the postcards are revealing men who... Uh, an early one, for example, is talking about a man who's taken Viagra and and can't come and it's almost like he describes it as the worst sex of his life like it's a painful experience Mm. and he had to have sex all night with his girlfriend and he couldn't come and he faked three orgasms so that he could just stop the you know and I think that's a really fascinating thing yeah I think it's really fascinating yeah because people oh well men don't men rarely talk about that I suppose Um, Mm. that's probably the fundamental reason we've never heard of that um, or less so, and also the idea that the idea that for men it can be at all boring, and it is just, there's just a sort of that some for some men it can be just bonking away, and they're not really, and they're just like bored. Mm. I mean, I find that quite extraordinary because I think I again in a very old fashioned, and I I'm embarrassed to admit, always sort of thought well, sex is always good for man, mm. and not necessarily always good for a woman. I mean, that's a sort of preconception that we have, right? Definitely, and I think sex for everyone 
is so loaded with gender assumptions. And Mm. what's really interesting about what you're saying there, and I think would be the general consensus, is that we expect, inverted commas, it to be much more normal, inverted commas, for women to not orgasm or fake orgasms than we do for men. So it's more, this is more unexpected and we don't have the conversation around it. And I think that that in itself then means that, so the lack of kind of conversation around it then causes it to be even more of a problem for the people who are experiencing it. Now, some people, it might not be a problem for them, but because it is perceived to be problematic, it then creates shame or feeling, you know, a negative emotional response to what's happening. And actually, um, I think it was the first series, I interviewed Ben Bidwell, and he was saying he's completely changed his sexual mindset because he is unable to achieve orgasm. And it has completely transformed how he thinks about sex, how he feels about sex. And that was his experience. And I loved that conversation with him because he said it, sex is almost everything he was, it's almost not everything that he was told it should be. Mm. And there was a lot in that and a reframing for him. And I think that there's this, it feels, it makes people feel like an outlier Mm. in a way and then if that's not communicated between partners you know again one of the biggest struggles we see for people struggling with sex is the lack of being able to talk about it so if that person that man is in a heterosexual relationship then his female partner is thinking well I've not heard about this happening for a man before so what am I doing wrong he's thinking this isn't happening for me so what's going wrong here and actually both partners are then stuck in this questioning and it's pretty unlikely that they're probably going to have an open, honest conversation about it, mm. which is, do you know what? This just isn't happening for me at the moment. It's nothing for us to worry about. I don't feel bad about it. As long as you don't feel bad about it, it's just that bodies sometimes mm. do this. Or, you know, there are yeah. reasons that, or kind of medical reasons yeah. that someone might yeah. be struggling with either orgasm or ejaculation, two different processes, but they're often combined. And let's just see what happens or work this out or work out how we can enjoy each other. And those things tend to take the sting out of the tail, but we're not educated to have those conversations. We are never taught. I mean, fundamentally, I think that we should be kind of educating our young people on how to talk about sex and relationships. We're getting there bit by bit, but Mm -hmm. slowly, slowly, slowly. I mean, I think it, for exactly for exactly that reason, these postcards might show up for some people that they really aren't alone and that mm. uh, how nice that they can read that somebody else's partner is faking orgasms and can't ejaculate and how nice that they that can see that other people, um, you know, the other men. There was, there was one postcard that I, I haven't uh, posted yet and it was about a man who was having sex with uh, somebody who he couldn't come and he faked an orgasm because he didn't want to hurt her feelings. I think it's really nice to hear that men are doing the same thing that women often do to appease the other person's uh, possible sensitivity around 
the classic or have we come have you come is it all a fantastic spontaneous and you know the ultimate you know we have to get rid of the idea that if you don't have you know prescribed sex in in a kind of you do oral sex I do oral sex then we do missionary then we do doggy then we do cowgirl then we do reverse cowgirl then we go back to missionary and we both come together and if that doesn't happen that's obviously the sequence. If that, <laughs> with a lot of kissing in between, uh, if that doesn't happen, that what we've done has not been the perfect sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And we need to yeah. get rid of that. We need to know that if you lie with somebody for an hour and hold hands and kiss, it can be even more powerful and moving. Mm. Or if, uh, one of us comes and the other one doesn't. It doesn't matter tonight. It does, like all of these things, it doesn't have to be, you know, and I think that um, it, 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 in a way that one about the man not being able to and, and sort of d- d- pretending so that he didn't have, I thought it was actually quite touching in a way. I mean, it's touching. A, it's interesting to know that men do that. It's touching to know that men also, of course, and and I, I feel awful saying it, but of course they have the same sensibility and worries about hurting and being, you know, and, and upsetting sort of feelings in this particularly sensitive area. Mm. Um, and that's also just, it's actually heartening to hear. And just to hear the sort of, there's, a, there's another one actually that is, that, is, that is crying out to me as I'm talking to you, which I, which I will bring up. Obviously the person that wrote this postcard grew up in the same period that I did. So was first sexually active around the time that AIDS was being discovered and was all over the news and there were these horrific adverts with gravestones. So this postcard, if I describe it um, well enough so the listeners can, can, uh, in their mind's eye, can see it, half of the postcard is that advert with the gravestones with AIDS Mm. in black and white and the top and the bottom it says people are dying to know. And then there's a telephone number. And this person says, I didn't have sex through most of the 90s because I was so terrified of AIDS. This advert gave me nightmares. And then he says in brackets Mm. that he's male. And I have to say that I completely relate to that. I don't think I, I, in my sort of sexual awakening years, I, from the age of sort of 15 to 20, which is exactly this period, I was so petrified of dying that I didn't have sex with people Mm. often more often than not more often I would you know it was um it was terrifying and it's interesting that that many people felt that too I mean of course they did it was it was it was it was an interesting period for this for that particular generation to have grown up fearing something so scary Mm, absolutely you know and I think a lot of people probably still hold on to that and of course there are many STDs and other things to, 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 to think about now, but that obviously is also an inhibitor for some people. Absolutely. And, you know, it shows how context plays such a big part in our sex lives. And mm. I hear so many stories and so many, have so many conversations with people exactly about campaigns like that. And what we also saw was that as a campaign, as those adverts, what they did is they, again, separated, you know, for the gay community, it was even, and the men having sex with men community, 
it further pushed the narrative that particularly, because it was focused on that type of sex, this is not the inverted commas right type of sex. You know, this is what this type... And as we well know, it is just not that there is one type of sex, that there is such a diversity of sexualities, such a diversity of sexual practices, but religion historically mostly has taught us that there is a certain type of sex which is preferable or in inverted commas right. And we've seen crises like the AIDS crisis further push that messaging. And what it did is it massively increased shame and stigma. And it really kind of hammered that in. And now we well know that there are incredible medications. The developments we've seen in the HIV work is absolutely massive. Yeah. And that people can be, you you know, undetectable now, U equals U, with the correct medications. And still we see a lot of the impact of campaigns like that and obviously you know the HIV crisis the AIDS crisis was a huge huge part of life in that time but we still see that messaging and those ideas really mm. strongly are still held. Yeah. I think it's really interesting and obviously you know that's a that person's sex secret is a massive throwback to a really long time ago and it's interesting that he's still is strong for that person. They still, they feel, I, I got the impression that they feel a little bit cross mm. that their early sex life was so impacted by something that was made to feel so scary. Well, fear. And the possible, uh, fear, yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really fascinating. The, um, the as, as I say, the, the kind of the, the varied nature of these postcards and the, and, the, and, you know, in that one as well, so beautifully rendered, you know, we all just took me back in time to that, to that advert and that, that period of, of fear and, and, um, and the sort of death of being attached to, to sex so mm. much. I think what I love about what you're describing about them is how they almost seem, the cards, multisensory. Yes. In a way that our sexual experiences are multisensory. Yeah. And... I, I kind of like that they're a representation of that because I suppose in people, and some of them are absolutely stunning, but in people putting so much effort and thought yes, and texture and yes. decoration and creativity into them, absolutely. as you said, it brings up, they're mm -hmm. quite emotive, they bring up yeah. memories or yeah. certain smells or tastes or sounds yes. and, and visuals. And I think that, that in a way is representative of, of our sexual experiences as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there, there's there's one other that I that it that I have to talk about, seeing that you've brought up all of those things because it's just so so richly full of those things that you speak about. And it is one which I haven't shown yet on Instagram, but I, I will soon, probably by the time that you air this. Um, and if not, I'll send it to you and you can sort of add it to the show notes so people can see it. Because as much as I'm going to try and describe it now, it won't do it justice. But basically, this is a sort of, if you imagine, it's a collage of tree, trees, like the middle section of trees through a forest. And every tree, is, they're sort of grey and black and grey and black. And they it's all done with uh, it, what looks like a sort of wood textured, actually uh, sort of thin pieces of wood 
stuck on top of each other. So it looks very much like a forest receding into the distance. Mm. And the secret is little tiny writing on little branches in and engraved in the trees. And it says, recently separated after 22 married years, I find myself pleasuring one of my oldest friends in the same park where I had my first kiss. And then on a tree to the right, right at the end, almost like it's been etched into the side of a trunk, it says, I swallowed. And on another little tree trunk, in the, it's got a little heart kind of gouged out as if somebody's done it on the tree, you know, in the forest. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's so sort of, as we, as we were saying, it's so kind of redolent of the secret, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of tension in there. You know, the branches are quite entangled in each other. There's a feeling that she can't get out of this wood, which, as we know, is quite a deep psychological midlife Dante-esque space. Hmm. And her, and isn't it interesting that this, after 22 years, she takes her oldest friend um, to this park where, which going full circle was where she had her first kiss. And now there's this sort of terribly naughty kiss with an old friend, but it's the mm. beginning of her liberation. Again, it's the big, it's like her, it's like the initiation of her sexual journey for a second time in starting in the same place. Mm. Uh, it's interesting. You say she, do you know it's a woman? Why do I presume it's a woman? Let me just see recently separated after 22 married years I find myself pleasuring one of my oldest friends I mean it of course it could be a man I that is an assumption of mine maybe it's an assumption because being married for 22 years I mean there weren't that many gay marriages 22 years ago Hmm. I suppose and if we're to assume it was a heterosexual couple and somebody's pleasuring somebody else and swallowing, it's got to be a penis in a mouth. Yeah, I'm just assuming. Mm, no, I just... Um, oh, we could be wrong, but I could be wrong. No, I just wondered. I think it's, yeah, that whole full circle thing, I think, is interesting. And I think that's the other thing. And maybe this is a really good point for us to finish on, is this idea that our memories, like that are particularly our emotional memories and we see, we understand this a lot in therapy, particularly when we talk about relationships and things, is they don't necessarily have a, a time stamp. Mm. And how, I suppose, fitting, I don't know. I mean, like, how how interesting. I feel like I just keep using the word interesting. I need to find a, a, a more... A, a more interesting more word. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, must get a thesaurus. But this this idea of somewhere that perhaps was one of the first places that was erotic Mm -hmm. has been revisited. Yes. And I wonder whether that was purposeful or whether Mm. those, because I think those things can happen quite subconsciously, can't they, without you even realising it until it dawns on you that you've been drawn back Mm. to something. Absolutely. And, you know, the reality is everything in life, we are more motivated to do something more if we get a reward, a payout, a good feeling. And whether that is psychological, physiological, both, when we enjoy something, we want to repeat that experience. And so, and what we see is that 
some people might feel disappointed by that. They might have gone back to somewhere in order to get that high feeling again or recreate that feeling again and be disappointed to find that it wasn't actually to do with the place that gave them that feeling. Yes. And I think that we see we see the flip side of that. But for me, I suppose that feels like an interesting thread woven woven into that. Yeah, I think that is a really interesting. I mean, it's um the 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 power of place and the and the power of memory um and associations are incredibly important in all our sort of sexual experiences, aren't they? And especially how they and and how that that and how we draw on those in sort of fantasies as well. That those atmospheres, the smells, the sounds, you know, all of those things can can be so powerful and as you say in a, in a way a little bit like with with sort of advertising or all the things that give us a little hit that we like and and that dopamine and we want to go back you know subconsciously or not you know they're kind of like oh yeah they understand me I go that was a nice experience I you know even even in me with me having a shop I understand I think and I hope I don't do it with any contrivance that when somebody walks into the shop and they have a nice experience with me in my shop, in my world, that they will go out and hopefully the next time they pass the shop, they will there will be some kind of recollection of a warm feeling and a nice association will make them walk back in. Definitely. You know, I want to be I want to be the wood, I think. <laughs> where, where you had your first kiss. I want my shop to be the place associated with your first kiss. You must come back in and tell me all about it. Oh, I love that. Sign me up. I'm coming. <laughs> yes, please do come in. I'd love you to come in and read out some of the postcards for me and to see all to. the stationery and see how see how it all relates. Mm. Well, I hope, and maybe you won't because I suppose it's kind of an online exhibition on Instagram, but I would love you to put all of the postcards into an exhibition to do a sex, well, a sex exhibition. I, I will. I really, really hope that, I mean, I, I think that it's inevitable that I will because um that's exactly what happened with the lockdown secrets I did an exhibition of all of them all uh 2,500 of them we had up on the walls in a gallery called Jealous in the East End and it was an incredibly moving experience actually to see them all Mm. and people came in and they stayed for hours reading one after the other after the other totally compelling and we had one night where I invited all of the writers of the secrets to come so we all knew that everybody in the room had written one on the wall, at least, and didn't, and nobody knew whose was whose. Yeah. But obviously, as the wine started to flow and the <laughs> intimacy grew, people started to reveal and want to photograph near their secret. So, and then, you know, little groups of, you know, the lonely and little groups of the food fetishes and little groups of the sexual people and, you know, all started to sort of gather and form as I'd hoped they would. So... I very much hope that the um, that the sex secrets exhibition. What did you call it? That was a brilliant word. Sex exhibition. Sex exhibition. So cliche. Sex exhibition. <laughs> um, I said it, and I kind of hated myself for saying. Do it. not hurt. Cliches are cliches because they're true, and I don't think we should ever be embarrassed of them. Um, and wouldn't it be amazing? I think it would be great. And when I do, can you please come and interview me there at the sex exhibition, and we can pick out a few and talk talk about them some more that would be so brilliant I would love to great I will be there with with bells on but please tell everyone who's listening I mean I'm sure it's fairly self-explanatory but where they can find all the amazing sex secrets because I love also 
how you've described them and I feel like oh. people will want to have a look at go. them and I mean I could I could honestly read them for hours but I feel like yeah the way you've described them is so amazing and I want people to go and look at them just even if it's just once just just to see oh, the visuals thanks yeah sure um so um the best way to see them is to go onto my Instagram feed which is Marby and Elm M-A-R-B-Y-A-N-D-Elm like the tree and that is also the name of my stationery shop um on the feed I post one every day so there's a new one every single day and um this is also the way that you can ask for your own sex secrets so when your listeners go onto my Instagram feed if they want to ask for their own blank sex secrets sent to them in the post all they need to do is dm me their address and I will send one to them the very next day and then theirs can be shown or as part of this ever expanding and increasingly fascinating collection of sex secrets. Amazing. I mean, I can definitely think that I'll be telling clients of mine about it and stuff because I think I can just definitely imagine myself recommending that clients go and read them because I think there is something so non-shaming, kind of freeing, normalizing celebrating about Mm. all of this I mean I really really do view the series as a form of sex education yeah and I guess I just want to say thank you for that oh no thank you I mean it's it's um it's really thanks to all the people that contribute I am simply a conduit and I I can't um I can't tell you what pleasurable uh, experience that is. I mean, for me to go into my shop every day and open the door and for there to be a little pile of people's hitherto unspoken, I should say, virgin secrets, for me to read, the first person to read them is just the most uh, indescribable pleasure and privilege. Mm. And that they uh, are putting them out there and that I can put them out in the world and other people can see them and relate to them is a a glorious thing, I think. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sexual Wellness Sessions. If you'd like to join us for more conversations, you can click subscribe on either Apple or Spotify podcasts. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review.